The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Ms. Lee Trust. Lee, are you ready to share with some quality people? I'm ready, good evening. All right, wonderful. Lee, it's an honor, a pleasure, a joy to finally get you onto this podcast. So thank <laughs> you for that. Um, Lee, we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So I would love if you could share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset and tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Absolutely. A quote that I used just today uh, was written by John Maxwell, and it's a pretty um, popular one. And it's the quote that says, the pessimist complains about the wind, the optimist expects it to change, and the leader adjusts the sails. So um, I, it, it resonates with me for a few reasons, um, because I think we can all fall into those categories, depending on the day or the circumstance. But I think 2020 uh, as a whole has been a year of um, adjusting ourselves as leaders. And I'm learning that it's not about being the president or CEO necessarily, but we each are leading in certain aspects of our lives. And so um, we lead where we stand. And so um, it, it resonates with me because nobody expected COVID this year. Nobody expected all of the social unrest. Um, nobody maybe expected, and maybe we did expect um, so much of the turmoil around the elections. And so we've just had to adjust sales um, for work, for home, um, for life. And so that, um, <laughs> that quote I used today, and um, it, it resonates with me because of all of those things. No, I, I love that mindset and that quote, Lee, because I was just talking with a friend of mine earlier um, or late last week, and we were just talking about this year in review up until this point, at least. And I said, the key word is pivot. Right. Yes. That's that has been the word like you hear it a lot, but you never really mm -hmm. think about it. Till you just find like your entire year is all about the pivot. So that's right. That's that's the mindset you put me in right there with uh, your quote. And I love it. Yeah. And that's what leaders do at the end of the day. We try to course correct and still make the results come together. So still make the destination. You can reach a, a desired outcome by going some different ways. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Perfect. I love it. And um, Lee, I am um, looking forward to, um, again, just introducing you to our audience. Um, you know, we've been friends for a couple of years now. Um, you are one of the folks, um, just sincerely, just the utmost respect, 
I love the chances pre-COVID, at least when we can go grab lunch and just talk and we find ourselves like talking for way too long and having exactly. to get back, get back to the day. Um, so <laughs> right. I, I'm honored again, Lee, just to have this chance to connect with you and introduce you to our audience. And, and so with all of that, Lee, I would love if you could just briefly describe, um, you know, your current role, but your professional background. And most importantly, what led you into this crazy career path of healthcare quality and patient safety? Well, I uh, currently am the Director of Quality and Patient Safety uh, for Health System here in Atlanta. And I have oversight over a, a three hospital kind of mini system, if you will, within a system. Um, and have oversight for accreditation, patient safety, uh, the stroke team, uh, physician peer review, uh, process improvement. Uh, and infection prevention. And um, it's funny, I, I start most of my talks with, hi, my name is Lee, I'm a quality leader and I'm not a nurse. And I think probably today in 2020, that's probably not so foreign. However, when I first entered into the quality realm back in 2002, 2003, um, most roles, um, leadership roles at least were held by nurses. Uh, so I actually have a background in social work believe it or not. And um, I got my master's degree from Florida State University, Gold Nose, and a bachelor's from Florida A&M University. But um, I, I always knew I wanted to be an advocate. I always knew I wanted to speak for the people who maybe couldn't speak loud enough or um, didn't feel confident enough to speak. And so my training as a social worker has really um, helped me in this role as a patient advocate, um, both in my nine to five, and I also have a caregiver support um, organization or business that I run separately um, where I'm able to work with people. So um, I, I tease folks and I say, I have an MBA. I'm thankful for my MBA, but I swear I use my MSW more um, because it's about people. It's about dynamics. It's about communication. In 2020, we can say it's about resilience, right? Mindfulness. Um, and all of those things I, um, I got in, in my training. I've, um, I've also had an experience uh, in the operations world. Uh, in uh, Texas, I was the director of an oncology service line and um, also oversaw uh, the Women's Imaging Center. So being able to work directly with operations, um, to start a patient family advisory council, uh, an infusion program, and to bring all of my qualityness with me into that role, I think really help. Uh, uh, it really helped us set some pretty solid goals um, and and meet those outcomes. And so, um, I've had a wealth of experience. I've I've been a vice president uh, for a for-profit system and really got a chance to um, do the strategic planning work and the relationship building. And I love it. Um, it it crosses over at home, PDCA cycles at home about different issues that I come across. Um, but in a nutshell, that's, that's been my journey. Started off as a social worker during case management. And um, when the onset of medication reconciliation came on, my boss asked if I would stand in a meeting for her. And I did. And I loved it. And I said, do you have to be a nurse to work in quality? And so my first job was a joint commission coordinator. I've been here ever since. Yeah. And Lee, you know, from a lot of our conversations, I think that's one of the first things that really got us connected is that we both um, work in quality. We love quality and we're not nurses. And I don't know about you, Lee, but even to this day, you know, 13 years in doing what I do and 
being pretty decent at it. I, I like to think I'm I'm pretty good at what I do. Yes. I still get static about not being a nurse. Yeah. Different conversations. It's still mm-hmm. it's still a barrier of sorts that exists out there. So um, I guess my first off script question, giving you an official mm-hmm. heads up. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, can you talk about maybe some of the barriers? But not, I guess not really the barriers, but just how have you overcome? I mean, yeah. you've still grown as a leader. You've had a fair, fairly uh, successful career path up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what have been some of the ways you've just been able to say, you know, what I'm not a nurse and I'm still very capable. Um, any yeah. tips that you can share just again for the diverse group of folks that plug in with this who may not be nurses, but still want to press forward as a quality leader? Absolutely. The, the first thing that you have to do is say, I'm not a nurse. And, and what that translates to, to nurses is, is that you don't try to act like one. <laughs> you know, that you operate within your scope and within your expertise. And that for things that are clinical in nature, you have somebody who you can go to or you ensure that they're on your teams and you engage them for those questions that are clinically specific. Um, And that's so important to me because nowadays with the onset of different ways of getting degrees and and education now, it's a lot easier um, than it was before. And, And I'll have to admit Jarvis, I've had a CNO say to me um, when I was at the manager level, um, you know, you might need to consider going to nursing school. And I said, you know what, though, I feel like nursing is a calling. I really do. I feel like it's ministry. And I guess I grew up with old school case management nurses. And so you didn't graduate um, from nursing school and go right into the cath lab or right into the ICU. You had to put in your time on a med surge unit. You know what I mean? It's different today. But um, I just didn't feel that I wanted to check a box for people that I know feel so strongly and so passionate about what they do just to help me move into leadership. And I think I was able to show that I'm not a one woman job, um, that I do well with forming a team around me um, and that I partner so closely with nursing leaders that I don't step in those landmines and, and regret it later, you know, about things that should be coming really from a nursing leader's perspective. And the last thing I'll say is that I actually was a part of a case management model um, in the early 2000s, 2004, mid 2000s, where it was a hybrid model where nurses and social workers both did case management. So I abstracted AMI, pneumonia, heart failure, core measures when those were the only three. Um, I did the uh, physician peer review write-ups and I called clinical into insurance companies. So I do think that that experience as a case manager and at that time, a hybrid model um, helped me learn a lot of of clinical um, processes and and just the way that physicians document and treat. Um, But but again, you, you have to be very clear that you are not a nurse. And even if you have the clinical experience the value of being on the floor at the bedside and at those points of care that nurses and physicians do and that intersection that they're part of, it's invaluable. Um, and you, you, can't, you can't trade that uh, for anything. Well, and I'll add on to your great points there, Lee, because um, the, the one thing that I try to drive home with this podcast 
is for quality people, regardless of your background, nursing, engineer, social work, whatever the mix. Um, at the end of the day, we have to be the experts when it comes to quality, patient safety, right. quality improvement. Um, I, I remember I was in, um, I, I got into a debate. It was one of the few times I let myself kind of get roped into debating my uh -oh. expertise with, uh -huh. with a nursing leader um, mm -hmm. and found, you know, uh, there was a point in our conversation where she said, well, Jarvis, you don't get it because you're not a nurse. And mm -hmm. I turned right back around and I said, you don't get it because you are a nurse. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was me saying, we're talking about quality, quality improvement. This is what I do. Um, regardless of my background. And I, I see it yeah. differently. It's not that I see it better. I just see it differently. That's and right. so that's, that's the take home. Um, but mm -hmm. the reality is it still can be conversations where it limits us not being a nurse or having the stronger clinical backgrounds. And Agreed. at the same time, we're still coming to the table with some value. So absolutely. So Lee, absolutely. You, are, you are the perfect example of that. So again, you're, you're on the right podcast tonight, at least. Can I add one thing? Absolutely. Um, to, to drive your point in, it's it's funny, you know, when I was uh, in school to be a social worker, we, we took a lot of training on um, team dynamics and people and groups, and I've done therapy and done group therapy. And a PI team is nothing but a group coming together to figure out a problem, just like group therapy that I used to do um, with patients and families and, and clients and things like that. So it's amazing how you can take your skill set from your expertise and pulling into this world of quality. And I think that's why one of my strengths is team facilitation, team dynamics, be, because I was trained on just people dynamics and really PI teams are just full of people that's with it. different, you know, experiences and different voices and different needs. Um, and I was trained, uh, you know, on how to deal with that when I was in school. So I didn't want to belabor the point, but I did want to add that. No, I love it. It's, it's like tribe leadership. If you can lead yes. a tribe. <laughs> uh, perfectly. I, I love the, the, just the start, the focus to the, for this show. Um, you know, I, I, I brag on the show every now and then, like there are a few times when I just know I got the right people on. <laughs> and th this is already kind of heading in that direction. Um, awesome. I'm excited. All right. Well, don't get too excited. So, Lee, I'm, I'm about to move us into the first real question. Dun, for, dun, dun. <laughs> this is uh, this is the question that I famously started calling the dark place question, Lee. Um, okay. I, I would love if you could take us on a journey back in your healthcare leadership career that you would consider your best moment of failure. Um, I would love if, you know, you could share with us what that moment was, give us a little background, but uh, most importantly, share with us any of the major lessons learned that you gained. Wow. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, but I have an answer for you. I was a uh, director in 2010, and I was so excited to be a part of this system. And I was a patient safety advocate. I was out on the floors. I was rounding. I was being a social worker doing patient safety. And um, I remember doing a root cause analysis and uh, because an event had occurred and staffing became an issue. And, um, you know, I pulled all the staffing sheets and it talked to the nurses um, who were involved in the event and to the leader. And the first thing that came out of that is we're short staffed. We don't have enough nurses. Um, that's why we had the event. And so, me and all of my five foot tall glory thought I am going to champion staffing. <laughs> and 
And so I walked into my CNO's office and I think I even said it in a committee meeting, Jarvis, and just spoke about how, you know, we are, are going to cause more harm if we don't figure out how to have these units adequately staffed and want, want, want. I think that's what it turned into after I said the first word, because the, the body language in the room was screaming at me, stop, stop. And I didn't get the, I didn't get the hint. And so I really um, thought that I was being an advocate uh, for those nurses on that unit. What I failed to do was to understand, um, number one, nursing staffing, um, understand ratios, you know, nurse patient ratios, and um, understand maybe even some politics or maybe not politics, culture um, of that area. And um, as, the, as a director, what should have happened is I should have engaged the leader first to say, hey, this came out, you know, would you, what are your thoughts about this, you know, and what do you think? And, and do we need to, to ask for some additional support or, you know, what, how, how can I support you? Um, and the other thing I learned is, is that, you know, they need to be making recommendations about staffing. That was totally outside of my scope, Jarvis. And it, it made me feel that um, I didn't get them the help they needed, but it wasn't the fault of the people listening. I played it wrong. I, <laughs> I just didn't do it wrong. So what I learned is that, you know, a lot of things come out in RCAs, um, but they have to be validated, right? And then um, you're, you're better when there are a couple of heads and you can go together. So now in situations like that, and even after that situation, when staffing comes up, then I say, well, let's let's pull the last 12 months. Let's pull the last six months and let's look at your high peak days and let's see if we can find some patterns or some trends. Um, and what that can show us is, was that a common cause variation that occurred? Was it a special cause variation? And, and of course, you know, we treat them differently based off what the answer is. And so that's the answer to what I do differently now. Um, I don't go blazing the trails with just a piece of the pie. I validate the information, um, try to get data to support it, and then empower my nursing you know, partners to take that information and really go and, and ask for what they need and be there to support them as a supporting character, but not as the, uh, the, main, the main. All right. So, so firstly, I have to say that when you said your five foot self going up in a meeting <laughs> and just blazing this path. Yes. I could totally see that. Like it, <laughs> it's the most powerful five foot person yes. <laughs> in the yep. room. Yep. Um, but no, I, I love that story. That's a great takeaway. It's such uh, you did an amazing, like well-rounded, complete way of telling the story, telling the lessons learned, telling the takeaways and even how you would um, kind of coach yourself up if you had to go back and do it again. Um, you just knocked away all of my potential off script questions for you. But, you know, for for everyone in the audience, if you get a chance to actually meet Lee, it is a powerful, impressive, most intelligent packaged five footer you will ever <laughs> find. So just the, vis you, the, the visual of trying to get to see you, you know, make that announcement and force that change. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can only imagine how that went, but I, I really love the takeaway, um, validating you. your root cause findings, learning more about the culture, about the processes that should be underway, staying in your lane. I mean, That's those right. are, 
those are all some really good takeaways. Um, man, Lee, you, you beat me to so many punches. I, I guess I'm going to have to go down to the next question now. That was <laughs> wonderful, wonderful awesome. reflection. Um, let me dig us up out of there really quickly, Lee. And uh, the next question that I have for you is that I love if you could give our quality people a tip tool or tactic that you found works really well for building up intimate connections on your project teams. Share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Wow, that's a great question. And I use this um, in teams at work and outside of work, um, church, community groups, boards. And um, that is when I join the team, I try to get to know the team members individually um, and really understand what, what's their vantage point. You know, what set of lens are they looking through and really try to connect to purpose with them. And, and, and I will, I'll ask, so why don't you get into this work? And what's your story? What's your connect to purpose? Um, because that helps me then understand a lot of their feedback and their comments and groups. Um, it can help me understand motive and focus uh, for them. And I think it ensures that their voices are heard. You know, we think about PI teams, you've got folks who are quite vocal, quite lively, you know, at the table and, and you can't miss them. And then there are others who observe and, and have a lot going on maybe inside. And so um, the second thing I do is I always invite people to the table um, and make sure that we have captured everybody's thoughts and, and as much as possible uh, form consensus. Um, another thing that I do at the end of, of any, any time I get a group together, and, and this isn't, you know, anything new, but I always evaluate meetings. So, hey, what did you guys like today um, that we did? Um, what, what would you like us to continue doing in the future? And, and then I ask, is there anything we could do better, you know, do differently, you know, um, and get that feedback right then so that um, each time we come together, they feel like their time is being used well. I, I consider the quality professional or the quality department as a service department, you know? Um, and I feel that it's our responsibility to ensure that our clinical leaders, our operational leaders feel supported. And so when I'm leading a meeting or leading a PI team, I want them to walk away having an experience, you know? So I'll start off with icebreakers or we'll stop in the, the middle of the meeting. Everybody good? You know, stand up. We need to take a break, you know, whatever it may be. But I want them walking away thinking, man, that was the best hour of my day. And even though it was a meeting, you know, that went well. Um, and I take very personally that people um, feel like they've had an experience when they've left a meeting. More importantly is that they get the right tools and information to drive change. Um, right. But those are some things that I do um, in engaging with with PI teams, making sure I know who's on the team and ensuring that we have the right. Folks. Well, and, and again, I can attest to that because I think that's how we got better connected, being on some doing work together. Um, you know, Lee, I, I love your point about the meeting evaluation. I just wrote an article, I don't know, three, four five months ago now Um around, you know, making meetings more fun, like just because we are in healthcare mm -hmm. yeah. and we, we go to a ridiculous amount of meetings on a daily basis. Yep. There's True. no reason they have to be boring and stiff and all of the above. So um, I, I love your focus around evaluating meetings. Um, let me ask, are you familiar with this thing called level 10 meetings? 
No. And see, you're so good about introducing me to new tools. Please tell me about it. All right. So this was something I read about in, in a book. I have to remember the name of the book, but it, it was just one of the things that stuck with me from this book. They It was a group facilitating meetings. And at the end of every meeting, they do a level 10 meeting, which is essentially asking everyone in the meeting to vote on a scale of one to 10. How do they like the meeting? And anything less than an eight forces the team to go back and then say, okay, what can we do to make it better? I so love the, that. Yeah. And the goal is to get, you know, all the meetings to about a level 10, ideally. Um, and, and again, I, I'll have to figure out the book, but that's something that I did start incorporating into the longer, you know, rapid improvement events or Kaizen events that I facilitate. We now, instead of just doing plus deltas, we do level 10s on top of it. And the goal is, okay, well, today may have been a six on average across everybody. If today was a six, what can we do to make it better? And then you go to your second day of, of an improvement event, you do the same thing and you hopefully incorporate all the feedback. And the goal at the end of the, the session is just to get to a level 10. So uh, a new concept I try to share, but from what you said, that, that was a very structured way of doing something very similar. I love that. I have not heard of that. Um, and so, yes, I would love that resource. Um, you know, something I do more so with my team, my direct reports, um, and it's a smaller scale. And that is, um, especially when I know things are tense or stressed, um, I will ask them uh, on a scale of one to five, you know, five being your highest level of stress, um, one being your lowest level, where do you fall? Um, and so anybody who's a three and above, we, we chat more about it and, and figure out, you know, there's some things that, you know, we can uh, work on right then, some low hanging fruit to try to ease up their, um, ease up their stress. But I love the, the level 10 meetings. I can't wait to use that. Thank you. Awesome. Now I will pull that up and share it as soon as I remember this will happen when you do late night podcasts, you, your brain is half. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> All right, Lee, next, uh, next question I have for you. Okay. Um, if you could please share with us one of your best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader, but again, you know, share with us the moment, the backstory, but most importantly, if you are able to turn it into a personal or professional success. Wow. You have awesome questions. Um, this one might surprise you. I learned that physicians are people like you and I, what? right? Say, say it again. They, <laughs> they are people like you and I. Um, put, put the pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> one leg at a time. And I have some friends that are physicians. And so I tease them all the time. But I think we do providers a disservice. Um, and we, um, we make, they're like deities. They, we, we make them, we put them on these pedestals and we forget um, that they are people that have had family interaction before they came in to do that 10 hour surgery. You know, they may um, have just lost a loved one. They, they are living the same life we are living. And I think we forget that sometimes. And so I've had a few aha moments over the years um, in working with second victims work or caring for the caregiver after a serious safety event, um, when a provider is going back over and, and, and he or she, you know, in their mind trying to figure out what happened, you know, what went wrong? How did I, how did I, you know, uh, do surgery on the, 
the wrong leg or how did I, how did I do that? How did that happen? And just really understanding the amount of pressure that providers carry um, for, you know, just medical errors, malpractice concerns. Um, just, I feel like over the years, their practice has been, they may feel maybe a bit legislated with all of the things that we've had to do for CMS and Joint Commission and, um, you know, their pay scale has changed. And, and I think they carry a lot. And, and that was my aha moment, seeing them in their, their rawest selves, their truest selves during safety events and, and when they've had to ask for help um, and, and having to engage other providers who could provide that help. Um, the same is true about nurses. And I think uh, COVID has shown us that nurses have been having a hard time. They, they get beat up by families because of the, the uh, no visitor you know, policies that most systems have. And they carry a lot, but physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, um, I, I, my aha moment was realizing that they need support and understanding and grace um, just like other people. I'll say that is a very important aha moment to share. Um, I was amazed maybe a year or two ago, I learned about the suicide rates among providers. Um, and I, I couldn't intelligently speak to it today, but um, that number at the time when I heard about it was really, really high. And, mm -hmm. you know, talking about the stress, the burnout, the lack of resiliency, um, mm -hmm. your second victim support, like you mentioned, those are things that when I learned about them in the conversation I was in at that time, I was blown away. I would have had no idea. Yeah. And to your point, you know, we, we put them on this pedestal, not realizing at the same time, they are normal. Um, they are, they yeah. are. Yeah. So I, I love your aha. That's, that's a real life moment, real life kind of reflection, bringing us back to where people taking care of people at the end of the day. So that's it. That's really it. Perfect. Um, Lee, next question I have for you. Could mm -hmm. you speak to any of the changes that are taking place across the healthcare industry today that you are personally excited about and share with us what role do you see quality people playing to either promote it or support its longevity? That's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I never thought we would see the day where a lot of um, positions in, um, in healthcare would be remote positions. I mean, we know that a lot of health plans um, allow a lot of remote work, but um, now in the acute care setting, you know, more and more departments seeing that now um, they, can, they can do some things differently and more efficiently, you know, not necessarily um, coming in and taking up space and electricity um, in, a, in a brick and mortar. And so, you know, I was just having this conversation yesterday and I, I just feel like there are so many new processes that are coming and so many that we had to implement uh, during the, the peaks of the pandemic that um, I would love to see us do more FMEAs. I know that probably sounds so cliche, but failure mode effects analysis work to me is so helpful in um, forecasting what are some potential areas that we might have problems? And I see with all of this change, there could be simultaneously a dozen or more in, in a hospital going on to just determine what our future is going to look like. 
Um, so that would be my thought. There's so many different things um, that we've learned we could do without so much innovation that's been birthed um, through this crisis. But for me, I, I just said to somebody, we should be doing an FMEA on this. <laughs> so that's that's my uh, my answer to that one. All right, Lee. So shameless plug, but I will keep okay. in tune with the brand new FMEA course that I'll be dropping right after the new year. So listen, I you did not pay me to say that. I had no <laughs> idea, but that's perfect because think about it. I mean, there are lots of new processes uh, coming or new, or we're thinking about changing something that we've always done. And that's the perfect tool. So great. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's something I, I've put a lot of thought about. And, you know, back when we worked together on a daily basis, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of my role was high reliability. Yes. And through that entire experience, that was my aha moment was like, you know, we should be doing FMEAs like every single day, at like monthly at a minimum. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we don't, even when it's dictated through joint commission or CMS. That's and, right. 18 uh, months. Well, we don't. So Yes, um, that's something that's a gap I personally want to fill um, yeah. because I, I think it's, you know, it, it's needed. It could be its own improvement methodology and it plays into lean and Six Sigma or any other bigger picture methodology. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I love your your takeaway there. That's that's one I think will hopefully resonate with a lot of folks that plug in or, or are familiar with the power of what FMEA could bring. So, Agreed. Um, Lee, next question I have for you. Uh, what are some of the changes that the healthcare industry itself can take on to become a more attractive place for ambitious or talented quality people to start and or grow their own careers? I've been, um, I've been thinking about that. I, um, if I can go back a bit, um, I came into quality during the um, to air as human crossing the quality chasm era. Um, and they're two of my favorite um, reports or books. And I think we started off even before then looking a certain way, but the quality professional or even the quality department has changed. Um, we, we aren't data enterers um, as much anymore. Um, case management departments normally don't report up to um, quality directors or VPs. They're now normally on the um, the finance umbrella or, or maybe even the uh, CMO's umbrella, but not quality. And so we've continued to evolve. Um, I believe that the system engineer work and true PI um, is going to be required more so from the quality professional. Um, I think we have lots of um, management engineers, system engineers, or systems thinkers that are in place um, but the amount of work that, that they do, just looking at human factors and, and that, that angle that we don't necessarily look at first, I think is just going to be required. Um, and so I think that lean is, is, is sexy, right? And for a time, lean Six Sigma was sexy. Um, and I think it still is. Um, but I think knowing it, hearing it, moving from daily management work into real practice and real outcomes and and becoming uh, an engine that moves like manufacturers, whereas if you don't meet this goal, um, you can't can't move forward. I mean, I think we're going to have to become staunch PI 
um, specialists. I really do uh, in all of our roles. And it'll be interesting just to see um, how that works. All right. Perfect. Um, I, I love that breakdown, too. And almost even back to how we started this conversation is that level of specialty and expertise, um, you know, as an industrial engineer, again, that's what we're built to do. But the reality is, as long as you are a healthcare professional or even a non-healthcare professional, but as long as you're a, a professional willing to learn the different tools and techniques and how to create results, not yeah. just talk theoretically about it, but to apply it and produce, um, there's a spot for everybody. Um, I was just telling a story not too long ago, um, a, a close colleague that I'm working with, he has a background in human resources doing mm -hmm. lean improvement work. And I was just like, get out of here. Like I, I just, that was my first time encountering an mm -hmm. HR professional doing this work. Wow. Yeah. I've met, you know, data scientists that are getting into this work, business analysts, mm -hmm. nurses, physicians. Mm -hmm. I love when I get a physician doing this work. Um, yeah. So, so I, I love your takeaway again, Leah, and I think it it calls on diverse backgrounds to yeah. create diverse solutions and innovations. So perfect. Well, and I, and I'll tell you another trend um, I'm seeing, um, and and I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. I think more health systems are looking at diversity, equity, and inclusion um, mm -hmm. from a different perspective now. Um, many systems don't have robust DEI uh, programs. And so with a lot that has happened this year, they are coming up with mission statements and, and programs and hiring chief uh, diversity officers um, to ensure that that work is captured. Um, what I love to do is to have conversations about how we can go beyond um, the immediate thought of black and white and talk about so many other things that come in my mind under diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think it ties to quality um, because of health disparities um, and, and social determinants of health. You know, in the acute care setting, we kind of think ED to, you know, the floor or surgical area or intensive care, then to a regular floor, then home or to another facility. And, um, you know, I think we're gonna to have to start thinking outside of the walls of the hospital and really connecting the dots and being just as invested in what that patient is experiencing outside of our walls as they are when they're in our And I think acute care settings are learning how to do that better. Health plans have population health departments and, and they seem to have figured that out. I'm, I'm looking and waiting on the day when we truly get rid of this chasm like we still have a chasm um, in quality and connecting all of the different pieces of, um, of the care continuum. And so I think about how can quality professionals take data, look at disparities, look at groups, um, look at their staff. You know, um, does your staff see themselves in their management? Does their management see themselves in their executive team and their board? Are people represented? Um, how are we addressing social determinants of health? It would cut down on so many admissions and readmissions. And so I think quality professionals are gonna be at the table um, for that work um, because it's gonna tie to data. And, and then we should be the, the facilitators of how we use that data to come about a change that not just affects what happens in our four walls, 
but our community is at large. Uh, I'll tell you, Lee, to, to everything you just shared there, I think I'm in a pretty unique seat um, with because of this podcast, because first and foremost, I, I'm a man of color doing the work that we do in quality. And through this podcast, I've now been able to create an international network of quality professionals. Wow. And I, I do intentionally, I'm looking for the diversity as I reach out to different potential guests to be on the show, to connect with. Um, so, you know, so one part is the actual outreach, um, identifying a diverse group of leaders that I can reach out to over time and say, hey, would you please be interested in, you know, being a guest on the podcast? And hopefully they'll eventually say yes. But I, I will say it is that we have a lot of work to do, just building up the diversity, um, more, more men, more women, more men and women of color, of different diversities and different races and everything. Um, like I said, I'm in a unique position because I'm intentionally looking for it and it's, it, I have to work for it sometimes. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's really, really interesting. But yeah, this year- important conversation. Yeah, th- this year has called it out in a lot of unique ways. So uh, perfect, Lee, I love it. I love it, I love it. Um, let me move us down into a part of the show, Lee, that I call the two-minute drill. This okay. is basically my take on a rapid-fire Q&A. And I'm just gonna toss a lot of questions at you as we start to push towards the end of our show. But before I start throwing them at you, just wanna check and see how you're doing. You ready to rock and roll? I think I'm ready, Jarvis. <laughs> All right, perfect. Uh, well, Lee, the uh, next question I have for you is something of a two-parter. I would okay. love if you could share with our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best. Then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization? I love to see teams get it. Meaning if we're doing an FMEA and there are nurses and, and other folks in the uh, uh, ancillary departments, that are ranking their failure modes and it clicks and they see that risk prioritization number and they get it. Um, that's something that, that motivates me um, or inspires me. And then um, the other piece is how I inspire others. Is I like to understand what people's goals are. You know, What do they wanna be? I have an infection preventionist now who wants to go into leadership. So we did a leadership assessment. We've come up with a plan. Um, for her to talk to other leaders. And we have a formal leadership development program just for her. Wonderful. Love it. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? (laughs) You know, that's a tough one. I've gotten a lot of good uh, lessons. I think the biggest one is that, um, you know, hospital teams are like volleyball teams. Um, So there are a couple of folks who can hit it before it gets over the net. And to treat it that way, you know, you are as strong as your team is strong. And so there's no way you can fix a problem in healthcare by yourself. All right. And let me go off script already. It's probably not even fair for rapid fire, but <laughs> uh, Lee, again, just because I know you as such uh-huh. an impressive Lee, what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever given? Ask for what you want to try. Ask for the opportunity. Ask to be put on um, an, a, an extra team, an extra project. Ask, can I work on this with you, um, president so-and-so? Ask, can we go to lunch and can you just tell me your journey of leadership and how you got to where you were? 
um, when that position is open for director of oncology service line, ask the question, I know I'm leading the quality department, but I wanna learn about operations. Can I try? Ask, just ask. Ask with expectation. You know what you come to the table with. You know your skills. You know your strengths. You know your opportunity. Ask. All right. I'll go back on script for you now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lee, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? That's a good one. Do you know, I find fascinating what happens in sterile processing. I, I know you did not expect me to say that. Um, but I think because it's so methodical and it's so important. And um, I think it's one of those jobs that I think gets overlooked maybe, but man, if something happens, <laughs> it, it's so big. I'm fascinated by um, what they do there and they're separating the instruments. And it just makes me feel like that those people in sterile processing are in that surgery for that 80 year old lady who's having a hip replacement because of what they did with that tray. Um, I, yeah, I hadn't thought about it before, but I, I find it fascinating. I would love to to spend a, a week in there. That's awesome. Well, and that that is essentially your factory within the hospital because yeah. that is so <laughs> process driven. It, that, I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a, it's a assembly line. Um, perfect. Um, next yeah. question I have for you. If uh, I would love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement. Uh, keep the vision in uh, in front of the team. You know, remind folks why we're here, um, why we're really here. The spirit of the improvement effort, um, and to to validate. I think I do it a good job when there have been tough meetings or frustrating or you know or pressure points. Um, validation. I would say. Every quality professional um, should have that as a tool that when they are meeting with teams and they hit those friction, uh, friction points that they are able to say, I know that's frustrating. I know that's hard. Or even after a tough meeting to say, I know that was a tough conversation. I'm just checking in, everybody doing okay. You know, um, validation is powerful. And um, I think as a, a professional that that's something we should. Wonderful. And um Lee, what is your go-to website or mobile application for executing on the work that you lead? Hmm, that's a tough one. <laughs> CDC lately. <laughs> um, the, obviously, I oversee infection prevention, um, but I love ARC, um, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Um, I still am a diehard Don Berwick fan, um, and I, although he's not with IHI technically anymore, I still connect him to the work at IHI. Um, love to follow their articles and their readings. Um, I'm reading more um, journals now, uh, JAMA and some of the other medical journals. Um, I find those interesting as well. Um, but those would be the ones that I would mention. Okay, I love it. And, uh, you know, to your point about JAMA, so I'm slowly starting to read more of the quality journal that NACU pushes out. Yes, but it's an excellent one. Yeah, but I, I've never been a journal person in my yeah. career. And I find myself, mm -hmm. you know, now that I'm, you know, I've been a member with them for a few months now, mm -hmm. I'm reading it and just, you know, it, it's quality, but it's kind of in the research kind of a mindset, but mm -hmm. it's still is something that's just new to me. So I, I'm, I'm intrigued that you're starting to read, you know, more journals yourself. That's yeah. slowly something I'm getting in the mode of. Um, if I sit down long enough to actually read something, it, <laughs> it's understand. one. Of, yeah, it's one of the things I am grabbing. Um, mm -hmm. 
Perfect. Uh, Lee, I would love if you could share with our quality people, a professional society and a professional conference that you think would be a value add. Well, I, um, I am a fan of the National Association of Healthcare Quality. I grew up with that group. I um, am a past president for the Texas Association of Healthcare Quality uh, back in 2011. Um, I received the Rising Star Quality Award with the National Association of Healthcare Quality, I think in 2012, I can't remember, but it was around that. And just the, the source of support that you get from NACU, you just can't beat it. And, um, you know, with COVID, it's, it's been difficult, but there are some powerhouses within that team. And, and the person um, who even got me excited about quality, who asked me that I want to write a newsletter for the North Texas Association for Healthcare Quality, um, is a past president of their board. And, uh, and that's Sandra Jones. And so I, I just love um, just who they are as people, but especially who they are as healthcare professionals. And then um, again, the Institute for Healthcare Improvement is, is, is a group that I suggest all professionals uh, budget to make sure that they Wonderful. And uh, before I let you go tonight, we will talk about the Georgia Association of Healthcare Quality. Awesome. I will be um, yeah, poking at you to come help me out with that a little bit. Um, yeah. Next, uh, next question I have for you, Lee, is I would love if you could recommend one book to our quality people, um, share with us, you know, what would it be and why? I think I already said it, um, <laughs> but I, I, there are some things that, that are foundational. And I found myself reading um, Crossing the Quality Chasm here recently, just picked it up and, and started doing it. I'm, I'm sure it may sound like the obvious, answer, but the information that was written in that book now a decade, uh, over a decade, two decades, two decades yeah. <laughs> ago, um, is still true today. And unfortunately, um, and it should make us all pause and think about over the last 20 years, I would love to see them do a paper, you know, in response to, you know, what ha has our chasm reduced? Has it lessened? Um, no, but they, it, they, they did a rewrite, I think about 2015. Did they? And, uh, okay. the, num the number was worse. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you told me that though. I've missed yeah. that, um, that rewrite, but it, it just took me back to why I got into doing um, what I do and, and why I wanted to be a patient advocate. And, um, and, and I just think everybody should have it and should read it and should pick it up and, and use it as a book club for your teens. Um, read a chapter, a couple of pages a day. It just really grounds you. It grounded me. And it's kind of um, made me pause a bit to see how can I be a part of it, you know, influencing um, you know, what we do as quality professionals. And I probably should have said that as, uh, as advice, Jarvis, that as quality professionals, we, we lead through influence, um, not by authority. And so that power of influence is strong though. Um, and we should use it for that. And, and this book I think would help. Yeah. You know, there, there's a handful of things that I think, um, we should know as quality professionals and mm -hmm. things that connect to the foundation, you know, crossing the quality chasm, you know, we should know mm -hmm. about Don Berwick, at least his general bio, um, mm -hmm. even folks like Quint Studer and the contributions. Mm -hmm. he made, oh um, yes. Demi, Absolutely. You know, just the, yes. we, you got to have a strong foundation and things like that represent that foundation. I, and I agree. I've, 
I've found that my team uh, members who have been in quality for, for less than 10 years don't know those things. Yeah. And so I, I do a sharpening of the saw with my department meetings. And I think that's a Covey concept mm-hmm. and, and we'll bring yeah. these kind of concepts to the, to the forefront so that they can get a little bit of that foundational quality. So Lee, we are right there at our very last question and give you the heads up now that this, this is kind of like the icing on the entire cake of our conversation. But um, last question I have for you, Lee, is something of a personal favorite because I am going to get you to reflect on your past while you look forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send one text message to yourself 10 years in the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a second and think about it. But what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Okay, let me think about that. A text message to myself 10 years ago and a text message to myself 10 years from now. Correct. Okay. I would say get that um, black belt certification 10 years ago. (laughs) You know, spend time um, really learning and understanding Um, those tools that um, don't age and don't die and don't grow old that you can always use Um, and 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 sanctify yourself get you know spend more time with that 10 years from now um, I'm gonna say to myself um, you're doing the work you know you moved you moved the needle a bit there's still some work to do and it's important that you now um create a road for quality professionals to come behind you. And so you need to make sure that, that you are leaving a legacy um, for those to come to continue to do that work, to save lives and to keep patients and our staff safe. Perfect. That, that is the perfect message. I mean, both of those, you know, certify yourself, kind of build that foundation that we were just talking about a few minutes ago Um, for the folks on this call, um, the, the audience that plug in with the show who are just Mm -hmm. starting out, take that advice. That's, that's why I love this question. Um, And then for the folks who are, you know, our position and 10 years from now, the folks who are kind of on the silver side of their careers, start blazing the path so that more folks can start to follow your legacy, build on the momentum you're creating. But um, Lee, I'm, I'm so excited again, just to have you share that kind of a vision on this podcast, because uh, hopefully this podcast will keep producing and more people yes. will plug in and hear about you, the legacy, the the leader that you are, um, the way that, you know, your, your vision for everything healthcare quality. So um, again, Leah, I appreciate both of those thoughts. I appreciate um, you letting me keep you up all late on a weeknight. <laughs> like like we're young and got all the energy to come right back up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, I've enjoyed myself, Jarvis, and thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed talking about all all of the questions, and um, glad that we can and be a part of this journey of making healthcare better. So thank you. My pleasure. But um, Lee, before I let you go, um, before I kind of end our call for tonight, we'd love for you to just share with us just that parting piece of advice. Um, Tell us the best way that folks can either follow or connect with you on social media, then I will officially sign us off. Awesome. Um, You know, I would encourage everybody to treat that next person, staff member, patient, family member like they're your own. I think COVID has shown us um, that people are here today and gone tomorrow. And 
put yourself in their shoes, advocate for them like you know them and that they are part of you and empower those that have the power to heal, to do what they can through data, through good process improvement, through good team facilitation and stay the course. Even when you're frustrated, even when you don't have the resources or the staffing um, to do the work, stay the course and just just take one bite out of the elephant at a time. You cannot boil it over. Um, so keep the faith, stay the part, and just um, just keep 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 going. Um, I think we're going to see some results, and I think we have seen some results. Um, people can find me um, on LinkedIn, uh, Lee Truss. Um, I also have a care uh, caregiver support organization called the Care Companion, and so you can find me on Instagram at. The Care Companion and on Facebook at the uh, Care Companion Guide. And that's where I do a lot of work with patients and families, um, as well as support um, the second victim's work and care for the caregiver work. So would love to connect. Um, and you can email me at the Care Companion at Outlook.com. Um, and thank you, Jarvis, for the opportunity. No, well, thank you again just for saying yes. And, um, you know, for our audience, please reach out to Lee. You know, there's there are different types of people and leaders that we need in our lives and to influence our careers. And I hope everybody takes the opportunity to connect, learn more about her, the work she's leading. You won't be disappointed. Um, so, Lee, thank you again. And to our quality people everywhere, thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Lee, and we are signing off. Good night. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.